I'm Brandon Carey. I'm Jason Grady. This is the Medic Class Citizen Podcast. Welcome back. So I think today we want to discuss a topic that's kind of it's pretty popular right now, a drug floating around called ketamine hydrochloride. So, Jason, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's it's one of those uh, drugs that's not new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just interesting. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, actually my wife and I were just having this conversation today about uh, all the stuff, the the trends and everything just in fashion or in music, everything just seems to end up coming full circle, you know, stuff back from the eighties and nineties is now becoming popular today. Oh yeah. And it's interesting how much of this in medicine, um, just ends up getting recycled. It's something that, you know, for some reason just didn't catch on correctly, or we just didn't know enough about it. It fell out of favor. Uh, and now this kind of stuff is being recycled and it's like, man, what, where did we go wrong? Why, why are we so afraid of this? Uh, because it's the same thing that we've been, that we used, you know, decades ago. Mm. Um, we stopped using it and now we're back to using it. And a lot of people think, oh, it's the latest, greatest thing. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's actually been around for a while. A long time. Absolutely. So I think what we can, we can kind of give an outline as to what we can, what we can accomplish today think we need to talk about why is it so trendy right now like what what was it that brought it back into favor and then we can talk about the mechanism of action and possibly some dosages yeah i think that's that's important because um you know when people don't understand that stuff that's when you start hearing all these war stories or all these terrible things about ketamine and then how it became you know, I was a street drug and, and how people used it incorrectly and for the wrong reasons. And maybe that's some of the reasons it fell out of favor. And then now people, when they think about it, they think back to those things and not truly understanding how it works and why um, it's such a such a good drug and important um, in uh, especially the pre-hospital emergency management. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we want to go ahead and just kind of make it clear. We're going to talk about uh, maybe the analgesic properties of it and also how you can use it during excited delirium, because I don't know, maybe you're on the same page, but if I think ketamine in RSI situations, that's its own conversation. I think that that's a, that's a whole separate episode. Oh yeah. I think something like ketamine, you know, it's, it's useful for certain things. And when it goes outside of that, I think that's really when we start to get in trouble. And it's not just ketamine. We see that with, with other stuff. I mean, especially when it comes to the intubation stuff is uh, pre-hospital, we try to get creative because we don't have the exact tools we need. So we start pulling things out of our toolbox that maybe seem like we should be using them because they kind of work, but that's not what they were intended for. Absolutely. So I thought that this was pretty interesting. Back in 1958, a drug called fencyclidine was, was created. Um, I think we also know that as something else. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you ask, you ask anybody that's been around and you see people on PCP. Oh my gosh. We could tell some more stories of, oh, yeah. of people with PCP mm. that just have superhuman strength. And yeah. there wasn't a lot of good that came out of that. Right. I, I thought it was pretty cool though, how PCP or fencyclidine was created because the goal behind it was pretty good. The goal behind it was to try to create a standalone induction agent for surgeries. Uh, So it took them a little while. It took them about 200 (laughs) 
200 attempts at the formula to come up with ketamine. So yeah, interestingly enough, the U.S. military was actually using it experimentally for surgeries during the Vietnam War. So, and, and it had good favor, except for some of the, you know, the hallucinogenic occurrences. We can date back to the experimental use of it in the military back to 1962. So, I mean, it's like you said earlier, it's been around forever. I mean, this drug has been there. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, I I personally did not have the opportunity to to be in the military, and I'm so grateful there of those um, that have served. Um, and I you know I don't I don't know how people feel, especially those that have been in the military. I, I sometimes I, you know there's some good things that come out of uh, some of this testing and experiments that have uh, been in the military, but you know unfortunately we probably overstepped our bounds on a few other ones. You know you can't you can't sue the military. You can't. Right. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, just stories of people that, uh, you know, you line up for your uh, quote unquote vaccinations and they just start shooting you up with all sorts of stuff. Yeah. You have no idea yeah. what they're, they're putting in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excuse me. Can you uh, can you tell me exactly what that is? Yeah. yeah no, like, nah, don't ask questions. Yeah, just, I don't think it works that way. Just keep going. But I think this is uh, definitely one, you know, we looking back to other stuff, oh, um, yeah. IOs and stuff that was all created in the military. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, the. Things like napalm and Agent Orange and yeah. you know, probably oh man uh, yeah. didn't work out so well. But definitely ketamine is is one that uh, outside of the military, I don't know that we would have been able to show any benefit. Absolutely not. And even the way we're using it now, you know, we're working our way through the history of it in this conversation. But the way we're using it now, it all came from military data. So in 1970, it was actually reused or it was released for civilian use in surgery. But in 2002. There was a military trial that uh, to where they they realized that, hey, maybe we can utilize this for analgesia. And what they started seeing was a trend that was a decrease in PTSD. They would use it specifically on burn patients and uh, patients who were unfortunately uh, subject to IEDs. And there was a decrease in post-traumatic stress during recovery. And also they started seeing some of those, the really cool hemodynamic properties of the drug. Um, so around 2002 through 2008, um, they started saying, okay, well, let's look at this for musculoskeletal trauma and soft tissue trauma. And then around 2008, that's whenever they started saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we can use this. Let's let's adopt this into a protocol for our special operations medics, um, you know, Army 18 Deltas, Ranger medics, Air Force Pararescue and, you know, things of that nature. And then actually in 2012, it was just adopted into the TCCC guidelines as standard practice. You know, so that's, uh, you know, that's a great that's a great history. But we jumped over a lot, you know, from the. 60s and early 70s up to the 2000s. So what happened during that time, those decades, why did it fall out of favor in the 80s and 90s? I would say just a potential a potential cause would be the quote unquote emergence phenomena or emergence reaction that can occur if it's if there is too much given uh, potentially. So I think it'd be really neat to see why why is it necessarily that they thought about using ketamine for analgesia versus fentanyl or morphine, something along those lines. Um, and just simply put, it was due to not only the respiratory depression that's found in most opioids, but also the vasodilatory effects. It's very vasoactive. Ketamine, on the other hand, 
it has a catecholamine release, which will vasoconstrict. So you get a little bit of an increased blood pressure as well as not quite as bad uh, respiratory depression. Yeah, it's interesting that um, morphine or other narcotics have stood the test of time and it's become such a big part of our medical community culture that we don't worry about uh, about things like, you know, and we not only we um, continued narcotics, but we've gotten more potent narcotics, you know, back at the same time that they're giving ketamine. I mean, even back in the, in the forties, um, in, you know, World War II, they're outfitting, you know, army medics with morphine yeah, and they're giving it in combat. I mean, these people have their, you know, limbs ripped off and, you know, shot, you know, they're shot in the, in the belly and the chest and they're having pain and they give a morphine with, you know, d- disregard for the hemodynamic status. Obviously it's not a place where you can really worry too much about hemodynamics, but we're giving morphine. And then it's, you know, it's going on to things like, um, fentanyl and other narcotics. And then, you know, from, uh, true opiate, uh, derivatives to synthetic. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, I know one of the arguments with ketamine is, well, it, it, you know, eventually became a street drug, you know, special K people were using it, um, and people were against it because of that, but, um, you know, look at the op- opioid crisis we have in, in America right now. Yeah. And still opioids are the drug of choice for managing pain. So then how does ketamine come along and, uh, you know, how does it compare to opioids and what is the benefit to it more specifically over opioids? So in 2012, the Annals of Emergency Medicine released a study that showed, ketamine versus IV morphine alone. So they were utilizing morphine and ketamine versus just morphine alone. And there was about a 50% increase in pain reduction whenever ketamine was utilized. And they also saw that there was not a significant hemodynamic response. And in fact, the blood pressure came up slightly and the heart rate would increase slightly. So this just, you know, I, I guess this came to the thought process of, well, what if we have what if we have hemorrhage or if we have trauma, musculoskeletal trauma with hemorrhage instead of saying, you know what, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you because your blood pressure is too low. Maybe now we can do something. Okay. So if people are saying like, that's, you know, that seems like a no brainer, then there's got to be some downsides to ketamine though. What is the, you know, if you're saying that it takes away pain, but increases your heart rate, increases your blood pressure and the kind of the opposite of opposite of opioids, what's the downside to it? So there are some dangers we have. There, there have been recent studies over the past couple of years that show that we actually do have some respiratory depression if, uh, if too large of a dose can be administered. Also something called emergence reaction or emergence phenomena. Yeah, explain that because I, I know probably a lot of people have heard that but are not very familiar with it. So to understand that, I think we have to understand exactly how ketamine works. So ketamine is an NMDA receptor antagonist. So NMDA, N-methyldiaspartate, all that is, it's a receptor for a neurotransmitter called glutamate. That is, those, those receptors are highly concentrated throughout your cerebral cortex and all the areas that help you with your judgment, your personality, your thought processes, and cognitive thought. So if you block those, glutamate can no longer enter the cerebrum. And at that point, 
you're supposed to not really know what's going on. So essentially the way ketamine works is it's not numbing the pain. It's not, it's not knocking the patient out. It's just making them not care that they're hurting. If that makes sense. Yeah. Almost like a, like a benzo would. Absolutely. And that's in fact, a lot of people think that ketamine is a benzo and, uh, and that's one of the, I think that's a good myth that we need to, that we need to talk about here in this discussion. But I, along with that, if you're blocking out somebody's sense of reality, a potential side effect of that is a hallucination. And that is what the emergence reaction is. And, and a lot of times, and that's why a lot of services have had a lot of, have had significant pushback from medical direction because of the emergence reaction. But thankfully, there are also studies that we can talk about where uh, two to two and a half milligrams of midazolam was loaded on as well, and it helped prevent that emergence reaction from happening altogether. And then if, uh, if we end up going too far with this and we have one of those reactions, is there any kind of uh, antidote? I don't think so. Yeah. So I think that, that's, that's one of the downsides <laughs> to it. You know, yeah. if, you, if you overdose somebody on an opioid, you've got something. If you overdose somebody on a benzo, you True. have something. But that's another good point of, uh, of saying ketamine is not a benzo. Romazicon is not going to reverse Absolutely. ketamine. Yeah. Uh, so we do have to be careful and dosing needs to be um, very well thought out and planned out. And I know we'll talk about that. But let me just start go back to the question of, so what is the dose? What is the correct uh, dosing for this? So for analgesia, the, the most widely accepted dosing regimen is 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram IV. And it's very, very important that... Uh, that we utilize these weight-based doses because if, again, if you overdose and a lot of people are going to say, well, there's no such thing as overdosing on ketamine. Well, again, if you give too large of a dose, then you could potentially push towards that emergence reaction. And also, again, there are some studies and we'll talk about this during the excited delirium debate that show that too large of a dose of ketamine can actually suppress respirations. So, Again, 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram IV for analgesia. And for excited delirium, if if you have IV access, and if you, I want you to think about an excited delirium patient you've had in the past that you can get an IV on. Um, so if by chance you have that patient, they have an IV, uh, one to two milligrams per kilogram IV with a max of 200 milligrams. Most realistically, it's going to be an intramuscular injection of two to four milligrams per kilogram up to 400. That's, those are the most widely accepted numbers. And the downfall is that I've seen some protocols that were literally patients little, they get 200. Patients medium, they get 300. Patients big, four to 500. It's like, man, we got to be really careful with this. We have to be very careful with yeah, this. And drug. that is another big difference between, uh, you know, op opioids or benzos. You know, if you give, uh, you know, five milligrams of morphine versus 20 milligrams of morphine, probably not that big of a difference. In fact, five is probably not enough. Uh, or even, um, you know, with Versed or um, Valium, you know, we talk about overdosing on that, it takes a lot. So your window there is actually pretty safe. Uh, but with ketamine, it just, it just isn't, we need to get more specific. I know we hate weight based and we know that in EMS, everybody weighs 220 pounds. So <laughs> that the medicate, so that the, 
<laughs> the medication dosaging and math is is easy, but you know, for something like this, I think it really is important. Also, you know, when we're dealing with receptors. We don't know, you know, everybody's receptors are different. You know, some people are more sensitive to medication. Some, uh, you know, it, it hits them harder. It hits them earlier. And for other people, it takes more, but we just don't know that about individual patients. So that weight based is so important. Absolutely. And there are some, some studies out there with the hypothesis that during certain psychiatric illnesses, ketamine is a horrible drug to use. So with that hypothesis, their thought process is if it's this type of psychiatric illness, well, then you need to go with an antipsychotic such as Haldol or Geodon versus using something like ketamine because you may make their psychosis worse. So again, that's just an hypothesis. Uh, and to my knowledge that that data is still being gathered, but yeah, definitely we have to be careful with this dosing regimen. So before we get into the specifics of uh, the types of patients that we're going to use this on, what do you think is the reason that people are so afraid of this? In fact, in our in our area here, when we first started talking about ketamine, there was a lot of resistance to it. In fact, there was a lot of resistance to it from the hospital side. Uh, and even in uh, many hospitals, you know, nurses are not allowed to push this because it is considered an an uh, anesthesia agent. Um, you know, can staff members can push, you know, Dilaudid and fentanyl all day long. But when it comes to ketamine, all of a sudden people kind of lose their minds. And, you know, that's that's a little over exaggeration. But when we start saying, uh, you know, we're going to give ketamine, but can only be given by a physician. And then should we really be giving that out in the field? What do you think the reason is that there's just fear? Is it is it knowledge, ignorance? What's the reason? I think it is a little bit of ignorance because of a, a conversation that you and I have had earlier whenever we talk about the RSI topics. You know, a lot of people will think, well, ketamine by itself is an RSI drug. I'm going to RSI them with ketamine. Well, no, you're not. That's not, and and I know a lot of people will think, well, anesthesiologists may use ketamine from time to time during surgery, and so I think that it just it's just ignorantly correlated with an RSI drug, which, like you said in our previous discussion, that is not not the case. I mean, you have to have other agents utilized with ketamine in order to RSI somebody. Right, people think you just hear the word ketamine and don't consider that it's in conjunction with another you know, cocktail of medications, or maybe they're at a certain point in their anesthesia that they're getting ketamine to maybe maintain rather than induce. Absolutely. 100%. So what are some other myths and controversies that uh, you've come across with the use of ketamine? So there is a myth that ketamine is a benzo and you hit that on the head earlier. Uh, Definitely want to break that right now because, and I've heard that frequently. I've heard a lot of times, you know, benzos like ketamine. Well, no, they're, they're not. It's not a benzo. Benzos work off of GABA receptors, and in fact, they don't block them. They make them work better. So GABA is gamma aminobutyric acid, and essentially, what it does is it allows chloride to to prolong its its time inside the cell which will lower the action potential. So whenever, let's say, for example, a, a patient who is seizing, there's just skeletal muscle contraction going on throughout their entire body. 
Well, if you let that chloride enter the cell and bring that membrane potential back down to a negative state, well, it's going to relax. That's not how ketamine works yeah. at all. In fact, in, in ketamine, we're blocking neurotransmitter receptors. We're not opening for them to work longer. So it's completely separate. Yeah, and you wouldn't uh, give ketamine for a seizure necessarily or <laughs> no. to stop tonic-clonic <laughs> you know, reactions. So, but if it is a benzo, then you would you would use ketamine for that, and that would be inappropriate. So, you know, it's it's just super important that we understand the mechanism Absolutely. of action. And I think that's just a thing that not just in pre-hospital, but I think in general in medicine, we don't know why we give medications. A lot of it is a, well, I had this similar situation and this was what we gave rather than truly understanding. Um, because that is dangerous. Again, if you overdose somebody, romazicon is not going to get you out of it like it would. Uh, or if someone is seizing, then, you know, you're delaying the appropriate care by giving them uh, ketamine. Also, another, another rumor that we've heard before is that and this one, this one has been prevalent for a long time, and I think it's just based off of how the mechanism of action works and the fact that there is catecholamine release whenever ketamine is administered, that you shouldn't be giving ket ketamine in situations of increased intracranial pressure, uh, which makes sense. I mean, absolutely, it makes sense if you're looking at the theory, but fortunately, there have been recent studies over the past five years that kind of disprove that, as well as... Uh, increased intraocular pressure in children. Now, I can't really support confidently the use of ketamine for pediatric analgesia um, just because a lot of the studies, that was exclusion. You know, pediatric population was exclusion criteria. Most of the time in these studies, the patients, and if you think about the military, well, what is the military saturated with? You know, young military aged healthy bodies you know 18 and up so a lot of the data unfortunately you know there, there's not a lot of data for analgesia with children so yeah and that's you know we were talking about some of the downfalls of ketamine well you know unfortunately that's one of the downfalls is that there's still a lot of data to be gathered i think that there are several trials that that need to be performed in several angles of this drug that need to be looked at that haven't been looked at yet. And like we've talked about, you know, the sample sizes for most of these studies are relatively small. It's not a meta-analysis. A lot of these studies have one to 200 patients, sometimes less. So I think that we definitely can look at an example of a, a good study, and this is being looked at right now, is, is there truly an increased risk of emergence reaction with patients that have a psychiatric origin in excited delirium. Because again, the thought process and the hypothesis there is, well, Haldol or Geodon, some type of antipsychotic will work much, you know, much more effectively in that situation. Whereas if it's, this is a meth overdose or if somebody just, you know, just had a great time at a club and took, you know, God knows what, then, you know, at this point, they, they need to be knocked out. They need to be knocked down with something strong like ketamine. So, and by the way, <laughs> ketamine is a very, this is, this is something that definitely, if your department is looking at adopting a ketamine protocol, make sure you have the right concentration. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I've heard some, I've heard some really bad stories about that. Yeah. Cause if, man, if you buy the veterinary dose, <laughs> I mean, it may work for me. I got a lot of glute. But if you, 
I mean, I, I, some of these concentrations, it would take five to 10 mLs to get the, to get 400 milligrams yeah. into a person. So you're going to stick them in both shoulders, both glutes, both thighs. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That, that's good stuff. So definitely be thinking about the concentration that you're going to be putting on your ambulance. Don't try to cut corners and save money by <laughs> going down to the feed and seed. Get your ketamine. <laughs> you know, you can do that with amoxicillin, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've heard a lot of people getting their... Get my fish mox. <laughs> yeah. Getting their antibiotics from you know, the, oh, the local horse... Horse town. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that'll be I think that'll be a good place to wrap up yeah. for this one. So let's... You've been listening to Medic Class Citizen. If you like what you heard, check out our website at www.medicclasscitizen.com. Also, find us on social media where you can follow, like, subscribe, and share. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we also have videos on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.